Some of you might be familiar with the name Warren uh, Wearsby. Uh, Wearsby has written um, very simple, practical commentaries on every book of the Bible, and he titles each commentary uh, with Be Something. For example, uh, his little commentary on Galatians, Be Free. His commentary on the book of Revelation, Be Victorious. His commentary on the book of Romans, Be Right. Uh, he has divided uh, his commentary on Psalms into two uh, little books. One is to be worshipful, and the other is to be exalting. Well, on his, uh, or in his little commentary on the minor prophets, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, and Zephaniah, he has titled that little book, Be Concerned. We have been working our way through the minor prophet Micah over the past several weeks. And that study comes to a close this morning. And I think Wearsby chose a good title for his commentary that included Micah. To be concerned. Because Micah, in his powerful message, addresses God's people with being concerned about their fellow man. And he particularly addresses his message to people of leadership, uh, people of affluence, people um, in positions of authority who are taking advantage of those positions and mistreating those who were less fortunate. And so one of the themes that we have emphasized throughout this study is this. Spiritual renewal begins with putting an end to the unjust treatment of others. If you go back to the very beginning of this series of lessons, you might remember that I encouraged us to read through the minor prophet Micah several times throughout this series and to do three things. Uh, to take a particularly colored pen and every time God is emphasized to underline it. And every time the theme of praise to God, to underline it. And to every time you identify uh, the theme of social justice, uh, giving to the poor, speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to underline those verses as well. And if you did that, I think you would discover a lot of color representing social justice. And this morning we conclude this series, an ancient ethical word for a modern unethical world, by looking at chapter 7. And as we conclude this series of sermons this morning, by looking at, at chapter 7, we're, we're going to conclude with a very special project that will involve the majority of us in this 
congregation. So open your Bible up to Micah chapter 7. And verses 1 through 20 might be divided into three sections. The first, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, we see where Micah laments disobedience to God. This also has been a theme throughout the book. But listen to verse 1. What misery is mine. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The NIV reads, what misery is mine. I like some of the older translations which read, woe is me. This word that is translated these various ways is simply an interjection from uh, the verb which simply means to lament. And what is uh, a lament? Well, it's words of grief. It's words of sorrow. This word group is actually related uh, to the word curse. When a first person feels Curse, they grieve, they lament. And so these words that begin chapter 7 by Micah express deep sadness, which leads to weeping and even crying out particularly to God. Well, why does Micah lament? Well, he tells us in verses 2 through 6, The faithful have been swept from the land, Not one upright remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come, the day your watchman around the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips, for a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. We might summarize what uh, Micah describes here as disobedience to God in this way. He is lamenting the disappearance of the righteous among his people. He is lamenting the corruption of its leaders. He is lamenting the tearing of the social fabric when families can't even get along. And so there is this upheaval among God's people because of their disobedience. And so we come to section 2. Micah longs for God's deliverance. And verse 7 begins the same way chapter 3 and verse 8 began, and that is with uh, Micah declaring, but as for me. You might remember in our third lesson from chapter 3, 
we uh, emphasize this particular phrase. But as for me, a phrase that we find um, somewhat regularly in the Old Testament, spoken by men and women who, uh, regardless of the disobedience going on around them, in spite of the unfaithfulness among them, determined to, to take a stand, determined to stand for what is right. And Micah does that once again as he concludes uh, his message. He says, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Three things that Micah has determined to do. To watch, to wait, and to anticipate. And what is he in anticipation of? Well, let's read verses 8 through 10. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. So Micah anticipates the very thing he longed for. And that was deliverance. Deliverance of, uh, by God upon his people. Uh, a renewing of uh, a covenant relationship with him as God intervenes in the history of his people. A remnant will be restored and God's people will flourish once again. And so we come to the concluding section uh, of the book. Verses 11 through 20, in which Micah lauds God's dedication. Beautiful words of faith and commitment from Micah as his message concludes. Listen to what he says. The day for building your walls will come. The day of extending your boundaries in that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days long ago. As in the days when you came up out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God who will be afraid of you. Let me pause for just a moment. 
in these particular verses as Micah lauds God's dedication to his people. He uh, speaks of how once again God's people will experience an expansion. He lauds God's dedication by the pastoral leadership that God will provide as shepherd over his people. Verses 16 and 17 speak of a victory that God will uh, give to his people again as a renewal takes place. And so we come to the final three verses of the book. And you might remember in our very first sermon when we introduced this series of lessons, I mentioned the fact that Micah's name means who is like the Lord. And he concludes his message by asking that question in verse 18, who is a God like you? And of course, the answer is, no one is like our God. He then proceeds to answer that question and show just how incomparable God is. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on earth, on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. I went back and identified at least nine things, nine ways God shows his dedication to his people. And so it's no wonder that Micah lauds his God, praises his God, declares the greatness of his God. He pardons sins. He forgives transgressions. He does not stay angry forever. He delights in mercy, hesed. He is compassionate. He crushes our sins. He sinks our sin to the bottom of the sea. He is faithful to his people. And finally, the NIV reads love. He demonstrates his love. Once again, Micah chooses the word hesed. He demonstrates his love to his people. And so even though you might argue that the message of Micah has been one of doom and gloom. He concludes the message, as most prophets did, with these words of praise, words of assurance, words of commitment to God our Creator by reminding us just how incomparable He is. So we have reached the end of Micah. What will we do with his message? You might also remember in lesson one, 
I began this series the same way I began uh, the series I preached from Jonah several months ago by quoting Carl Minninger in his 1973 book, Whatever Became of Sin. They hang prophets or ignore them, which hurts worse. We cannot ignore this message. I did uh, a little research on the concept of mercy, hesed, uh, from this particular book. Again, Micah uses it twice in the final three verses in describing how great our God is. And I came across a series of, of quotations from other sources emphasizing mercy, emphasizing social justice, emphasizing a concern for those who are less fortunate than we. And if you go back to lesson two in this series from Micah chapter two, one of the points that was made that particular Sunday morning was advantage entails accountability. We should feel advantaged as God's people. Or we might put it this way, that special privilege implies special responsibility. And so listen to five quotes that challenge that particular point from John Wesley. Anyone who does not visit the poor on their own turf at least once a week is in danger of losing their eternal salvation. John Stott, in his commentary, the, uh, the letters of John. Grace and mercy are both expressions of God's love. Grace to the guilty and undeserving. Mercy to the needy and helpless. Dorothy Day in her book, Loaves and Fishes. We need always to be thinking and writing about poverty. For if we are not among its victims, its reality fades from us. We must talk about poverty because people insulated by their own comfort lose sight of it. The Indian, East Indian philosopher Valivar said this, The only gift is giving to the poor. All else is simply exchange. And then finally, a quotation at the Holocaust Mu uh, Memorial Mu Museum in Washington, D.C. Thou shalt not be a victim. Thou shalt not be a perpetrator. But above all, thou shalt not be a bystander. If you'll look to my left, you'll see our tripartite uh, vision statement. To connect with God, unity of all believers, and to restore all things. This particular series of lessons from Micah has particularly emphasized restore all things. And that aspect of our vision reads this way. 
responding to God's plan to restore all things to him, we will purposefully bring Christ's love and hope to our community and to the ends of the earth. I have previously spoken of this and made these three application points. To restore all things means that we must not only prepare for heaven, but begin already to participate in it. You see this point especially made in the Gospel of John. Over and over again, John speaks of life, abundant life that Jesus brings. Occasionally, he attaches the word eternal to it. And it's always in the present tense. It is something that we can begin to experience now because of our faith and salvation in Jesus. So number two, to restore all things is to bring a taste of heaven to earth. If we have been immersed in Jesus and we are now a part of His family, and if we wear Christ's name, we have experienced heaven. We have experienced salvation. We have experienced the life abundant. And because we have experienced that, we are to take it to others. That's the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. And so, number three, we must not only support missionaries, we must also serve as missionaries. You know, we can go to the New Testament and find any number of metaphors for what it means to be a Christian, a disciple, a follower, a student. And we've had lessons defining that word. But I think it's also appropriate to look at our lives as Christians also as missionaries. The word missionary simply means one who has been sent. And here is the reality. We go somewhere nearly every day. And when we go, we should remember that we are a missionary. That as we go to recall, we are being sent by God in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. And so we go forth into our community. And so we become missionaries to our family. We become missionaries to our classmates. We become missionaries to those we work with. We become missionaries to our barista, wherever you might buy your coffee. And we become uh, missionaries to the people that we interact with every single day. People who are lonely. People who are depressed. People who feel no hope in their life. And we have it. And how dare we hold on to it. Love is not love unless you give it away. 
The same is true of grace. The same is true of mercy. The same is true of hope. And so this morning, our elders have given us an opportunity not to be bystanders and to be able to go out into our community and help people experience who may not ever experience any other way a little taste of heaven upon this earth. Each life group will be given $500 in cash. I'm going to ask one of our elders, Richard Peace, to come forward at this time. And Richard has a little envelope uh, for each group. And I'm going to call each life group leader and co-leader, and I know we have some uh, who are uh, away from us this morning. And so if that happens, uh, I'll ask for a representative from that group to come uh, forward. And I'm going to ask each uh, leader and, and co-leader, and if applicable, your spouse may uh, join you as well, to remain up here uh, on stage up front after you receive uh, your gift, uh, which then you will use to gift our uh, community for a final word of encouragement and then uh, a closing dismissal prayer by Richard and then we'll be dismissed uh, to our uh, classes. And these are in no particular order, uh, by the way. Um, Lewis and Carol Anderson and Daryl and Lisa Bulls, if you would please come forward. Elton and Danny Weeks and Keith and Charlotte Bowman. Phyllis Wan and Sandra Carroll, who lead our ladies group. We also wanted uh, the group that meets here at uh, the auditorium every Sunday night to also be included in this. And we've asked Audie Neisler uh, to come forward and represent that particular group. Cliff and Maggie Kirby and Jason and Charity Dice. I think Cliff and Maggie are away, but here for Jason and Charity. Wayne and Becky Kirby and Brad and Elda Francis. Thank you, Joe and Judy, for coming up and representing that group. Glenn and Maida Lee and Josh Daniels. Hey, these to my left are up on stage and are a little higher than you guys. Listen, listen. Uh, Ken and Kim Maxville and Kyle and Monica Jones. <clears throat> Greg.
Greg and Kristen Mays and Alan and Nikki Beeler. Herschel and Lee McLean and James Paul and Chloe Myers. Dan Roffey. I asked Dan this morning if he had a co-leader, and he said no one would step up. <laughs> Clay and Maureen Spencer and Clay and Kelsey Frittle. Jay and Gay Spencer, Sam and Lori Wicks. Lori, you're going to have to represent our group. Uh, Randy and Lori Johns and Clint and Rachel Spencer. I'm preoccupied and Clint and Rachel are away. Fourteen groups are represented, and you can do the math. $500 for each group. That's a good chunk of change to make an impact on our community. To the leaders and co-leaders, I would challenge you, be creative. Be creative. You, you may see a need within the congregation. You may see a need outside of the congregation. You may want to add to your gift. Uh, you may want to split it up. Just be creative with whatever you do. Secondly, be mindful of the Micah mandate to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And then finally, remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to take time to read all of this uh, parable. But you remember the story. Jesus is approached by an expert in the law and asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all of God's law? And Jesus responds with, well, how do you read it? And the expert then cites the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Jesus says, you have answered well. And Luke tells us that uh, this individual seeks to justify himself and ask Jesus, who is his neighbor? And so he then proceeds to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is the way it concludes. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Richard, would you lead us in a word of prayer? Congregation, you see before you a good cross-section of the body here. 
you see teachers, you see ministry leaders, you see shepherds, you see deacons. <clears throat> and so they have other responsibilities uh, to the body here, but, but they're also life group leaders. It takes more time to give due diligence to leading a group. And so let's give honor to whom honor is due to our leaders. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father God, we come before you now and we, we give you honor, glory, and praise for which you are worthy. As our creator, giver of life and sustainer of life, providing for our spiritual needs, and spiritually through the gift of your Son. Father, we're thankful for your enduring qualities of love, mercy, grace, patience, persevering with us, and for your forgiving nature. And Father, help us to be more like you. Father, we're thankful for our life groups and particularly for our leaders, the co-leaders. We pray that they will together have conversations about the needs that could be met in our community and that they would give that due diligence to using those gifts to do good for others. To be like Jesus who came to serve. And Father, as we perhaps just meet physical needs, we pray for that open door of opportunity to teach others about Your Son and what He's done for us. And Father, we pray that, that each group will give prayerful and wise consideration to how these gifts will be used to expand your kingdom. Father, we also pray for our sick and they are numerous. We have those who are suffering from cancer, broken bones, injured bodies, disease. We pray, Father, that you'd guide us in helping them in any way that we can. to help their families as they minister to them, to the physicians who tend to them and the nurses. We just have a lengthy list, Father, many that uh, we haven't uh, had this long a list before that I can remember. And so let's remember them and be helpful to them. Father, dismiss us now as we uh, leave this assembly. And we pray that we'll each one uh, make our way to a Bible class where we can learn more about you and your love for us. And help us, Father, to be more like your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>